All right, well, welcome back to our systematic theology study. Uh, this week, we are on session number 29, uh, the reason for Christ's death, or why did Christ die? Um, last time, we looked at the substitutionary atonement, and uh, I have to apologize to you guys. You may have been a little confused last time when we did our overview questions, because I got them mixed up with this session's. So we actually did our overview questions last time for this session. So um, the good news is they're so closely related, these two sessions, that we can actually just go back through all the questions uh, and take a look at those. So I thought I'd start out uh, by looking at uh, last week's questions, uh, or what should have been last time's questions uh, now, just as kind of a reminder and a refresher of what we looked at last time. And then we'll go ahead and move on to our usual, um, I have a short ar article here, it's not very long, but just to introduce, and we'll watch our video, and then we'll go through our overview and questions. We're going to read a little bit of scripture this time. Um, we, we won't be looking at the confession, because we were still in um, chapter 8, which we've looked at thoroughly already. Um, but yeah, and then next session we'll be looking at the extent of the atonement, and kind of wrap up this, uh, this grouping. Uh, and that will actually mark the halfway mark for our overview um, of our total systematic theology study. It's hard to believe it's almost halfway done. So let's, uh, let's look at these uh, questions, what we should have looked at last time, and see if we remember what we learned last time. So, um, what does cur deus homo mean? Uh, do you remember that from last time, last video? Yeah, it means why the God-man. It's a Latin phrase used by Anselm and a question which probes the mystery of the atonement. Uh, what is central to redemption? And that would be purchasing. So Christ purchased his bride. We have been bought with the blood of Christ. Uh, which ransom theory views mankind as held hostage? Hopefully you remember that from last time. Ransom to Satan. This theory gives more power and authority to Satan than he deserves uh, or is proclaimed in Scripture. Uh, Dr. Sproul mentioned he had you know, some problems with that theory. Uh, I would probably state it a little stronger and say I think it's kind of a heretical theory myself. Um, next question. Which view of the atonement sees Christ as the conquering king who defeats his enemies and sets the captives free? If you remember that term, it was Christus Victor. Christ's triumph over evil is the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 3.15. Christ crushed the head of Satan, though his victory was not without pain. So you remember that reference in, in Genesis. What attribute of God is the satisfaction of the atonement largely based upon? Justice. Yeah, justice. Because we have sinned against a perfectly holy God, we deserve death. God's justice demands that evil be punished, and a judge who doesn't punish evil is not a just judge. Which debt is a monetary debt? That's called pecuniary debt. And in the illustration of the boy in the ice cream shop, we looked at the video last time, pecuniary debt is the little boy not having enough money for his order, whereas moral debt is the boy's stealing the ice cream. So, not to confuse those two different types of debts. 
Um, so yeah, those those questions, uh, I went ahead and put them on our sheet for this time, so we would have both sets of questions, but technically that those questions right there belong to the last session, and the questions that I had typed up last time belong to this session, so we'll look at those when we get to them. Okay, so that's just a quick refresher of what we looked at last time, like I said, highly related to this time. So we just have a, a short article. This is actually from, um, I guess you could call it a kid's book. It's called A Believer's Guide to Spiritual Fitness, but this is found in the appendix there. Since Jesus is God, he is perfectly righteous and holy. God's perfect righteousness and holiness demand that sin be punished. See Ezekiel 18.4. And Jesus' perfect righteousness and holiness qualified him to bear the punishment for the sins of those who will be saved. Romans 6.23. Jesus is the only person who never committed a sin. Therefore, the punishment he bore when he died on the cross could be accepted by God as satisfaction of his justice in regard to the sins of others. If someone you love commits a crime and is sentenced to die, you may offer to die in his place. However, if you have also committed crimes worthy of death, your death cannot satisfy the law's demands for your crimes and your loved ones. You can only die in his place if you are innocent of any wrongdoing. Since Jesus lived a perfect life, God's justice could be satisfied by allowing him to die for the sins of those who will be saved. Because God is perfectly righteous and holy, he could not act in love at the expense of justice. By sending Jesus to die, God demonstrated his love by acting to satisfy his own justice. Romans 3.26 so that's just a, a very brief introduction. Um, we will go ahead and pause, watch our video, and then we'll go through our overview and with the correct questions, and we'll also read a little bit of scripture. Let's pause now. All right. Hope that video was helpful. Let's um, let's go through our review now, and we'll jump around a little bit here to get the correct questions. So starting on. Um, our current sheet 29, reason for Christ's death. Our introduction is, some consider the notion of substitutionary atonement to be barbaric, but it is the only view of the atonement that fully satisfies the demands of God's justice. Here we consider the significance of Christ's death as a substitution and maintain that rejecting the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement is paramount to rejecting scripture itself. Our overview. So in homiletics class, the teacher would critique the presentation of the student sermon, but when substitutionary atonement was preached, he commented on the content. Remember the story he told. Uh, that that kind of shows, like it said, some consider the idea to be barbaric. And don't want to think about it. Um, all orthodox, and even some unorthodox, have agreed that substitutionary atonement is a vital part of Christianity. Karl Barth stated that the most important word in the New Testament was huper, or in behalf of. We all fell through the first Adam, but we are redemptively represented through the second Adam. In Cur Deus Homo, Anselm highlighted this relationship. Essential for understanding this aspect of the atonement are insights from the Old Testament. The Day of Atonement is instructive as to the transfer or imputation of our sins to Christ. 
One, it pointed to the concept of substitution. Two, it pointed to the importance of Jesus' very life being given for us and not simply the shedding of his blood. Three, propitiation or horizontal atonement. Uh, Four, expiation or vertical atonement. And five, what do we do with our guilt? Actually, I'm looking at that, and it looks like that got reversed around, didn't it? So three, propitiation, that would be your vertical atonement. Four, expiation would be your horizontal atonement. So five, what do we do with our guilt? Also revealed in the Old Testament is the covenant structure of the atonement. One, blessing or God's presence, and two, cursing. So Paul makes this aspect of the atonement clear in Galatians 3, 1 through 14. I know Dr. Sproul uh, read a couple of verses, but I'd like to go ahead and read that, that full passage, not just uh, the last few there. Um, let's open our Bibles to Galatians 3. And we'll read the first 14 verses of chapter 3 here. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. So do you see the uh, substitutionary atonement language there? And uh, do you see his his language of, of Blessing, and, and in this case, curse. Uh, I think Paul makes a pretty clear argument there. All right, so uh, to look at our questions, let's switch back our sheets to last time, since it had the questions for this session. So look on your, your sheet from 28, and our questions and answers. What does the Greek word huper mean? It means alongside of. Karl Barth once remarked that huper was the most important word in the Bible when speaking of Christ's redemption. 
Redemption is accomplished for us by someone else. What animal was used to symbolize the transfer of one sin to another on the Day of Atonement? A goat or scapegoat. The scapegoat was brought to the high priest who transferred the sins of the people to the goat by the laying of hands and then chased the goat outside the camp away from the presence of God. A lamb was then slain and its blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. These sacrifices were shadows that pointed to Christ's authentic atonement of substation. What is expiation? The transfer of righteousness. The transfer of righteousness is the removal of guilt. Propitiation is the satisfaction of the moral obligation. Both the horizontal and vertical dimensions of atonement involve a substitute. We are saved by Christ's obedient life and death. What is the basic question of the atonement? What do I do with my guilt? We all know deep down that we are guilty before God. The answer to that guilt is the death of Christ on our behalf. So the question is not why did Christ die, but how can his death remove my guilt? What is the covenant curse of sin? Spiritual death. Apart from Christ, we cannot dwell with a holy God. Christ became a curse for us so that we might be restored to the presence of God. What is the covenant blessing secured for us by Christ's atonement? The promised land. Christ secured through his atoning death on the cross access to the presence of God. Sin destroyed our relationship with God and Christ's substitutionary work of atonement restored that relationship. Okay, let's go back to our sheet for this time and look at our uh, discussion questions. So, uh, first question is, what's so offensive about the atonement of Christ? Why do people reject that idea? People say they don't need a Savior. They never ask for anyone to die for them and they don't need them to. Yeah. Yeah, there are those, like you pointed out, the guy said, I have no guilt. <laughs> I'm a good guy, I have no guilt. Um, There's a sense in where people admit that there had to be a substitute for their sins and they would be obligated to his service in a way. Yeah, we had some, some commentary on our, our last session kind of dealing with this. Um, one of our, our listeners, remote listeners, said he, you know, he understood what we're talking about, what we're dealing with. He just doesn't believe it. And I think it came down to, to this. He doesn't like the idea of God's justice and, and wrath having to be satisfied. You know, can't a loving God just wipe his hand and, hey, everyone's forgiven and everything's cool? <laughs> so. Yeah, there's the whole concept of what they call it, cosmic child abuse. Yes, I've heard that, yeah. yeah. They say that, you know, it was God the Father being abusive towards God the Son, so that way he doesn't have to take his wrath out on the people that would believe in him instead. Right. So I guess we're going to try to figure out some kind of cosmic CPS to, to go after God. Yeah. <laughs> um, why is the atonement a vital part of the Christian faith, and what is instructive about the Day of Atonement and its relationship to Jesus' work? 
the first part of that. Why, why is the atonement a vital part of our faith? Because without no atonement, then we would have no expiation, propitiation for our sins. You know, if there's not, because we're not worthy enough to be a substitute for our own sins, we can't make up for the transgressions that we've given because of God's holiness. So there has to be an atonement, there has to be a reckoning. Right. Because, as the Bible says, um, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Yeah. The wages of sin are the death, right? So without a death, we're still stuck in sin. Right. Yeah. Okay, what is instructive about the Day of Atonement? We kind of looked at that briefly, Old Testament, Day of Atonement, and how the you know high priest you would come to the high priest and you had the the goat and the lamb and the ritual they would do. So what but what is instructive about that whole process, that whole ritual they would do? How does that help us understand Christ's work? So it's the, the explanation of the scapegoat is a good one, I feel like, where you know the, the sins of God's people had to be placed on the scapegoat and driven away from the camp because that's underlying the holiness of God and how difficult it is to draw near to him for us who in the midst of say we were Old Testament Israel, while we were placing the sins on this goat, we were probably sinning in our hearts and our minds while we were doing it. You know, so it's it's very instructive in that way. I feel like to see that, you know, Christ, who knew no sin became sin, had to be sacrificed outside the camp. Because that's just how holy God is. Yeah, and, and I thought about it. it's interesting because we have talked in the past about Christ being the propitiation for our sins, but we, we should also think the the full aspect of it, also the expiation for our sins. Right? He, he took on all our sins, and then by suffering the death, satisfied God's justice, um, having those sins upon Himself. So it's kind of a, a dual uh, work there, right? So both the vertical and the horizontal. Okay, what Old Testament passages reveal aspects of the atonement of Christ? Can you think of any? Um, Isaiah 53. Yeah, that's funny. That's probably where I was going to go. It's one of my favorite Old Testament passages, Isaiah 53. In fact, uh, I always say I don't see how how a, a Jew can can read Isaiah 53 and not become a Messianic Jew. I just don't get it. <laughs> and then there is the, uh, Dr. Sproul referenced it in um, Psalm 103, 12, separates the sinners part of the east from the west. Mm. Yeah. Um, so at the moment that Christ died for our sins, and I'm guessing you'll probably discuss it last session, but if we don't believe in a universal atonement, but rather a particular atonement. Right. You know, at the moment that Christ died for our sins, there was a elect cosmic you know, forgiveness where God didn't necessarily, I don't know, I wouldn't say he cast our, sea, our sins into a sea of forgetfulness and there's 
you know, nothing to be thought of, but as far as holding us accountable and a reckoning coming towards us to have to bear the guilt of our own sin at that exact moment, you know, Christ took that on for us. Right. And, and I thought he talked about it kind of well, how, you know, prior to Christ, it was a foreshadowing, a looking forward to Christ's work. And now, after Christ, we're looking back and remembering Christ's work. But it all hinges on that pivotal moment in, in you know, redemptive history. So, mm-hmm. yeah. One of the questions that those Old Testament passages are about aspects of that a trick question. <laughs> Maybe able to say the whole Old Testament. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, any any other thoughts or comments? Like I said, we won't uh, crack open our confessions again because we've we've been through chapter eight quite a few times already. But uh, just you know, open the floor here. Any thoughts or, or questions or anything about what we've learned today? I think the the atonement of Christ is of course paramount to our faith. But you know, even whenever you look at like the Lord's Supper. And Pastor David reminds us every week to come to the table worthily, you know, endorses from the scriptures. And it makes me think of the scene in Zechariah where you have the accuser standing before Joshua the high priest. And you have the angel of the Lord, you know, the pre incarnate Christ, saying, Away with you, Satan. You know, do you not know this is a brand plucked from the fire? And just personally, I don't know, every time I mess up, every time I do something stupid, every time I you know, lose my temper or anything like that. I, I have a bad habit of beating myself up. And then I also have a bad habit of making excuses. Mm. And, you know, the list goes on. But thinking of the atonement of Christ and recognizing what it means to come to the table worthily is realizing that Jesus took all that on already. Like the sins of my past, present, and future. You know? It's so strange that you're the only one that has that problem, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, the uh, no, the devil loves to play that game, right? To to try to bring up that guilt in us. Um, so I, I always think of the Pilgrim's Progress scene. You know, Christian says, "Oh, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> Just go ahead and roll with it because lay it all out there because Christ covered it all." I mean, rather than trying to try to hide it or ignore it. fully admit the depths of our depravity, right? But we know the work of Christ is sufficient. We have to remember that. It's something to consider. I guess also encouraging one another too, right? Because it's, I don't know, there's a lot of times whenever I honestly feel like I just don't have the right words to console somebody or to come alongside them whenever they are busy beating themselves up. You know, they've done something wrong, but you know to remember that we don't necessarily have to have all the right words, right. but just to remind them, you know, the sacrifice that's already been made. Yeah, sometimes the most helpful words are the most simplistic words, right? Just bring it, bring it back to what really matters, and Christ and Him crucified, right? So. All right, well, I enjoyed the session. Why don't we wrap it up in prayer? Um, Josh, would you pray for us? Yeah.
your son and his righteousness. We know apart from him, we have no part with you. But we thank you so much for the opportunity to come to you tonight to learn about you. And we thank you for raising men up in your church that even after you've called them home, still instruct us to this day. We thank you for preserving your word and your, your true doctrine all through the ages. And we thank you for giving us safety to meet together and discuss these things with one another. Lord, please forgive us for our lack of attentiveness in the times that we have for peace. And I ask that you help us remember that right now we're standing in peace, but it could be even tomorrow that we're standing in the thick of the Jordan. That you would train us up to run with footmen so that way when it's time to run with the horses, we'll be ready. Lord, please keep us honest, but also always keep us reminding of the true atonement work of your Son. God, I ask that you please also draw my children to them, even at an early age, that even these things would be seeds for the gospel, that you would glorify yourself and bring forth fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.